Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. One of the earliest episodes of the TV show, The Twilight Zone, which aired, of course, long before I was born, but I distinctly remember watching a rerun of it in my childhood. One of the earliest episodes is called Time Enough at Last, and it is ingrained in my memory. One of maybe two of those episodes that are ingrained in my memory. Maybe you've seen it. There's a man named Henry. He loves to read. Maybe that's why it resonates with me. But he loves to read. Only he can't read as much as he wants because he has a job at a bank. He's married. His wife, his boss, everyone is getting on him for reading too much. And he laments that. He wishes he had time enough to read. One day he is in the bank's vault where he goes to hide himself to read. He has the vault door closed and there is a nuclear holocaust. And all life on earth is destroyed. But because he's hidden in this vault reading, he's spared. He walks out. There's no one left. It's just him. And of course, he comes to a place of despair. What is he going to do? There's no one on this earth until he walks by the local library and realizes the books are intact. And he has time enough at last to read and read and read. So he begins stacking up the books, one after another, huge piles of what he plans to read over the rest of his life. He's so excited until he bends down and the glasses he depends upon to read fall off his face and shatter on the ground. He can't read without his glasses. So he has time enough at last, but nothing to do with that time. There's a sense in which freedom, which we're not only celebrating this week, but has also been a key theme in Paul's letter to the Galatians, is like time. It is a good thing. Time is a good thing. Freedom is a good thing. But it's not a good thing in itself. It is a means to other good things. For Henry to have all the time in the world, but not to be able to do with that time what he desires, it's a waste. He might as well have no time at all. The same holds true with freedom. Freedom is a good thing. We value freedom. It's in our constitution. It's in our DNA. It's an instinct we have as Americans. But freedom is only good as a means to accomplish other good things. Just to have freedom, but to waste that freedom, or to use that freedom on nothing or selfish waste, is the same as having slavery. There's no benefit in it. It's only good as a means to something else. All the freedom in the world is slavery if you don't use that freedom for other things that are good. That's the purpose of freedom. If you are a Christian this morning, in truth, you are the freest of all people in this world. Of all people. Martin Luther very famously put it this way, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. You are free from the law that condemns, as we've seen in Galatians. You are free from sin, from its power, from its guilt and condemnation. You are free from needing the approval of others. You are free from having to work your way to heaven. You are free from the judgment of hell. You are free. How else can you be free? You are so free as a Christian. You have freedom more than anyone in the world. 
For you were called to freedom. That's what Paul writes at the start of this text today. But the question is, why? Why are you free? What is the purpose of your freedom? Your Christian freedom itself is not an end in itself. It's not just so you can walk around feeling good to have freedom. You have been set free for a purpose, for a reason. And the title of today's message is the summary of what Paul will say in answer to that question of why. You are free to love. That's why you have freedom. If you didn't know that before, I hope that you glean that from this passage today. We're going to look now at Galatians 5, beginning in verse 13. The freedom that we have, but why we have that freedom. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in this case one statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So far in this letter, you know that Paul's main enemy has been legalism, the legalism of the Judaizers who had come in after Paul had planted these churches in Galatia and left. The Judaizers came in and said, you can't be saved just by faith in Christ alone. You have to add elements of the law meaning the law of Moses, hence the term legalism. You have to add elements of the law. You have to be circumcised, as the law teaches and is the custom of Moses. You have to keep certain dietary restrictions, certain festivals. You have to mark on your calendar new moons and Sabbaths. If you don't do these things, you can't be saved. And Paul has spent this entire letter battling against that way of thinking, which is still prominent today. That to be saved, it's not just about faith in Christ according to the gospel that Paul preached, but you must believe and also as a prerequisite to salvation, do other specific works. So Paul has been attacking over and over and over legalism. What's interesting about our passage today is he takes a break from attacking legalism. He's been so focused on the Judaizers who came into the Galatians here and their error, now he takes a break and he focuses his attention on the Galatians themselves. And it seems that there was a different but very significant error or problem among the Galatians, not just the threat of legalism. There was as well the opposite error that is also prominent today from legalism, which we call licentiousness. Just think of the word license that's in licentiousness. Using freedom, we're free in Christ, no condemnation, as a license to allow you not to drive, but to allow you to sin. That's licentiousness. The topic is changing, therefore, because Paul knows what good will it be 
If through all his arguments he secures in the mind of the Galatians that freedom that is there, freedom from the law, but what good is that freedom if they just waste it? If they just throw it away and say, we're free from the law, so let's sin. Paul says, no, that is not the point of your freedom. What a waste of freedom. That is, in fact, a false freedom. So what we are looking at today is this false kind of freedom that Paul is attacking in the Galatians, known as licentiousness. And after that, Paul will show us the opposite, true freedom. So false freedom, true freedom will be the headings in our sermon today. So let's look first here at this false freedom, also called licentiousness, addressed in this text. It's really an abuse or a misuse of freedom. You see it at the very start of our passage. For you were called to freedom, brothers, good, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The first thing that's obvious in this passage is that Christianity really is about freedom. You were called to freedom. God called you, if you're a believer, with the intention of making you free. So yes, Christianity is about freedom, but it is not about freedom of every kind. So what we're going to do this morning, which I hope you do as a practice in all your life, is we're going to define a term. You probably know that you as a Christian are free. But let's define freedom. Because there are kinds of freedom you don't have and shouldn't have as a Christian even. What is the freedom of Christianity that Christ came to give us? We're going to break it down in two parts. There are other kinds of freedom, but let's focus on these two massive ways in which you're free. These are your two kinds of freedom as a Christian. Number one, which has been the main focus of Galatians, is that if you're a believer, you are free from the law. Hasn't that been Paul's point here? You are free from the law. You could put this more simply as, you're free from being condemned by the law. So really, it's a freedom from guilt. It's a freedom from judgment. It's a freedom from condemnation. Paul wrote to the Romans, the same thing he's writing to the Galatians when he said, quote, Now we are released from the law, having died with Jesus to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Your freedom from the law means, first of all, you do not have to keep all of the stipulations contained in the Old Testament of your Bible. Dietary restrictions, circumcision, festivals, all the things the Judaizers were saying, Galatians, you have to keep these if you're going to be Christian. Paul says you are free from the law. You do not have to keep those ceremonial sacerdotal priestly aspects of the Old Testament law. And we're very glad not to be sacrificing animals, which was required under the law. So you are free from that. But on the other hand, even the moral parts of the law, which still have application to us because they show us something of God's will, so the Ten Commandments, there is a sense in which you have a freedom in regard to the Ten Commandments. Not a freedom not to keep them, but a freedom that when you fail to live up to the Ten Commandments, they cannot condemn you. You're free. 
So Christian, you are free from millions, thousands of external rituals that dominate the lives of people across the whole world today. Rote prayers, etc. You're free. Sacrificial systems, ways to appease God. You're free, free, free. And when you fail to live up even to your own beliefs, even to what you know is God's will for you in loving your family and loving your neighbor, in treating others as you would have them treat you, all of that, when you fail to do so, you will not go to hell for that. You are free from judgment. So the first kind of freedom that you have as a Christian that you were called to is freedom from the law. There's a second kind of freedom, very significant, and it is freedom from sin. Again, to the Romans in chapter 6, verse 22, Paul says, You have been set free from sin. And Jesus' famous words, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus was speaking specifically about freedom from sin. Because right before he said, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Free from what? Free from the enslavement of the power of sin in your life. Before you knew Christ... Sin dominated your life. It was your characteristic. It could have been this sin or that sin. But it was sin of some kind. And now as a believer, Christ has struck sin at its root. Its power over you is limited. It's still in your life. It remains. It is limited. It has received its mortal wound. Before you had to sin, nothing you could do. Now you don't have to sin because you are free from sin. Those are the two major ways that you, Christian, are free. So when you sing free, I'm free at last, you're talking about those two kinds of freedom more than anything else. There are other kinds of freedom, like you are free from needing the approval of others, but that's really being free from sin, because that's a sin. You are free from Satan. This is true. He once had us bound. You're free from a fear of death. This is true. But there's a sense in which they all come back to these two things. Free from law, free from sin. Or another way to look at it would be free from the guilt of sin. That's the law which condemns you for sinning. You're free from the guilt of sin and you're free from the power of sin. It shall not be master over you because you're not under law. That is your freedom. And if you're not enjoying that freedom as a Christian, well, start enjoying that freedom as a Christian. Perhaps you've not been aware of that. You've not been thinking about that. That is your freedom. And our text says you were called to that freedom. You were meant to have that freedom. God wanted you and wants you to have that freedom from the law and from sin. But notice, those are two specific kinds of freedom you were not called to every kind of freedom. And you are not, Christian, free in every way. The Galatians seem to have been confused on this point. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, and then he has to add, only, so that he can clarify something for them. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Christian freedom is real freedom, but it's not every kind of freedom. It's not absolute freedom in every sense that that word is used. 
And many people get that confused because they haven't defined that term of freedom. Because we are free from the law and from its judgment over us, because our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ, because we have that kind of freedom, there are many Christians who have become confused and thought, well, if we're free from judgment for sin, then aren't we technically free to sin without consequence? No. Christian freedom is freedom from sin, and what's described there is freedom to sin. Those are different. The Christian's freedom is freedom from sin. The sin of the licentious person is a false freedom called a freedom to sin. You do not have a freedom to sin. <laughs> Quite the opposite, Christian. You do not have a freedom to sin. You have a freedom from sin. Our flesh that's in this text here, it's that sinful part of us yet unetched out, that sinful part of us that wants to sin. And when it hears that we are free from the law, that we are free from guilt, the flesh within us, even as Christians, rises up and says, Hallelujah, let us eat, drink, and be merry. Sin all we want, for tomorrow we will be forgiven. That's a lie. That is false. Yes, we will be forgiven in Christ, but that is a completely wrong way to think about it. That is licentiousness. That is really a waste of freedom. That's what he says in the text. You are free, yes, from sin. Don't use your freedom, the fact that you're not condemned for your sin, don't use that freedom in a wasteful way. Don't take the glorious freedom Christ has won for you, crumple it up, and throw it in the trash of nasty sin. Don't do it. The sense that you are forgiven by Christ, which I hope you have in strength, should never, ever, ever encourage the power of the flesh in you. It's just totally backwards from the freedom Christ has won for us. Freedom from sin. Throughout the church's long history, many have sadly fallen into this erroneous way of thinking about freedom because they've just not defined freedom carefully enough. Many people just think, well, sin is not that big of a deal. Maybe it's not stated. Maybe it's just thought. It can't be that big of a deal because I do it and I don't go to hell for it as a Christian. It's forgiven in Christ. Therefore, sin's not that big of a deal. The fact that your Savior, who is God Himself, had to suffer agony for hours upon the cross under a darkened sky for your sins tells you sin is a very big deal. The point of the gospel is to show you how big of a deal sin is, not to make you think sin's not a big deal because I'm not condemned for it. That's licentiousness. The idea of a license to sin because of our freedom. And this is definitely a false sense of freedom. Now, we in our context, as we've already talked about, have to be especially careful. Here we are in a country which, praise God for this, has the idea of freedom or liberty built in. Has there ever been a country with such a sense of liberty built in from the very beginning? Before the United States were either united or states, already so many of those who populated this country came fleeing religious persecution, looking for what? Freedom of conscience. And then in 1776, as we'll celebrate, when we had a revolution here, it was seeking what? Freedom 
from what we considered unfair taxation and a heavy hand from England. Freedom. Give me liberty or give me death. It's built into us. Even in more recent history when you have things like the Cold War, the standoff in our minds between forms of government that give its people more freedom and those which do not and lead to kinds of oppression and lack of liberty. Our whole history has been one of freedom. So we have this instinct of liberty built into us as Americans. And that's good. I'm so glad about that. That's a very good thing and we don't want to minimize that at all. If you've ever lived in a country without that instinct, you'll be grateful that we have that instinct. There are so many good kinds of freedom that we enjoy and have an instinct toward in our country. Freedom from religious persecution, that's good freedom. Freedom from an oppressive government, that's good freedom. Freedom from a foreign nation coming and taking over and enslaving us, that's good freedom. Freedom to worship God in the way you believe is right, that's good freedom. Freedom from your God-given sexuality. Now what has happened right here is that we've not defined what freedom is true and good freedom. I hope you understand that LGBTQ ideas, which are growing in prominence, of course, in our country, and if you know people who are caught up in this movement and way of thinking, I hope you understand that ultimately that is in pursuit of freedom. And one of the reasons that it's taken such hold in our country and in the West especially, and not so much in the East, but one of the reasons that takes hold in the West is because it's a quest for liberty. And isn't that our instinct? Isn't that what we're about? To be free. But what has happened is we come from a history with lots of good kinds of freedom, even the civil rights movement. Good kinds of freedom and liberty and then we go beyond that to say, well, then let's be free in every conceivable way. But we forget there are kinds of freedom that are not freedom. That's Paul's point in this text. Only do not use your Christian freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We've not defined freedom. The sexual revolution of the 70s and onward has led to all kinds of, really, freedoms. But they're not good freedoms in God's sight. You, on a more personal level, have to define your freedom. You are not free in every way. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. There is a misuse of freedom. Freedom is not inherently good if it's not used for a good purpose. That's the idea here. Now, you might wonder in your own life personally, how do you know if you're using your freedom well instead of poorly, you don't want to be the one using your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Well, I think that's answered in verse 15 of our text. The Galatians, who were using their freedom wrongly, had this consequence. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If you give your flesh an opportunity, you know what happens every time? Your flesh takes the opportunity, and that's what had happened here, it seems, with the Galatians. Now, you might be thinking, when we talk about the flesh and about sin, we're in a church. Mainly what we're decrying is sexual sin, things of that nature, those clear outward sins and prostitution. And... But actually, what we're going to see 
in the coming weeks is that in verse 19, if you look down in your text, verse 19, Paul is actually going give to give us a list of what he considers works of the flesh to be. And it does include, quote, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, the stuff that's obvious to us. If you watch TV or you look out there and go, wow, okay, that's obvious. But notice verse 20, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That's more than half the list. Three items were about sexual perversions. More than half of this list, eight items, are church sins. They're not the sins out there, they are. But they're the sins we deal with much more openly and honestly within a church context. They're biting and devouring each other. That is a significant piece of the flesh. The flesh is not just temptation toward sexual sin, temptation toward greed, those things that seem obvious to us. But he says the works of the flesh are obvious, and more than half of them in this list are you can't get along with other people. The Galatians were using their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Maybe that involves sexual things. I don't know. But the thing he points out most clearly is, how does Paul know that they have this false sense of freedom? They're destroying each other. <laughs> he gives the picture here of wild animals biting, devouring each other. And he says, listen, if you're giving your flesh all this opportunity, biting, devouring each other, infighting in the church, if you're giving them, you may not have a church. You might consume each other. The churches of Galatia, they could be gone. You're threatening your very existence here. If we use our freedom to sin as an opportunity for the flesh, what's the point? <laughs> Why be free in that case? That's not really freedom. Freedom to mess everything up. Freedom to ruin all your relationships. Freedom to destroy families. Freedom to undermine the health of a church. Is that I mean, that's freedom of a sense. That's not really freedom, and that's Paul's point. Don't use your freedom like that. You are free in Christ, but it is a false freedom to go around sinning without thinking much about it just because, you know, ah, I'll go to heaven in the end. That is really a false idea of freedom. But Paul isn't just interested in false freedom. Because there is so much good freedom for us as Christians. So now we turn our attention from false freedom to true freedom. Look again at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What a waste that would be. But here's the kind of freedom you have and ought to embrace. Through love, serve one another. Again, the only is clarifying the kind of freedom. It's defining freedom for you. And he says, you don't have this kind of freedom. Freedom to sin. That's not your freedom. Well, what kind of freedom do I have? Freedom from sin to love. You are free to love. Through love, with love as the compelling force in your heart, 
serve one another. That's why you are called to freedom. That's why you have freedom. Not just to go to heaven. Not just to float on clouds in the sky and escape hell. But you were called to freedom at the cost of Jesus Christ's own blood. At his agony. At his suffering. He will have the reward of his sufferings. And the reward of his sufferings is not just your eternal deliverance from judgment. It is that. You're free from judgment. Hooray. But it is that you would be free so that you would love each other and serve each other. That's Part of why Christ hangs upon the cross suffering your penalty. Because he wants to win for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for what? For good deeds. Now, you may wonder as a Christian, if you come from a different religious background, why there are so few external rules or regulations for you as a Christian. Really... There are two. There's just two. Do you know that? Two external rituals, if you will, that you have to do as a Christian, Jesus said. There's baptism. That's a ritual. It's an action right here. You go in the water, you come out. We do something. There is the Lord's table or communion that we celebrate regularly. You have to eat the bread. You have to drink the drink. So you have to do an external ritual there. Beyond those two, that's it. We don't have sacrifices. We don't have other specific rituals. We don't have beads that we say a prayer. We don't have external rituals that you have to follow to be a Christian. You've got those two that Jesus Christ has given. We have ways we try to apply the principles of Scripture. You should come here on a Sunday morning, for example. But you've been set free from these stoicheia that other religious systems, and it's hard for us to appreciate being as free as we are. But other religious systems have a lot of rituals. They have regular prayers throughout the day. They have sacrifices to idols. They have things that have to be done externally. Frequently they cost money. They take time. They take energy. Festivals upon festivals. Celebrations that require so much of your time and your energy and your wealth. And Christ comes in the new covenant pushes them all aside and says, the time is coming, you won't worship on that mountain or on this mountain. You don't have to go make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You can if you want. You don't have to go make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You just stay right there. The question is, wow, compared to what everyone else has to do, we're pretty freed up. What am I going to do with that airfare I would have to pay to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem? What am I going to do with the time and the energy that I would have spent doing that? Through love, serve one another. Or again, you may not realize or appreciate just how much sin costs. It costs a lot. If you have an addiction, you see this especially, it can consume all your funds, all your time, all your relationships. It just sucks it right in. All sin is that way. You're free from the power of sin. What are you going to do now that your time and your energy and your mind have been freed up from the sins you were once enslaved to. What are you going to do with yourself? Through love, serve one another. That's part of why there are not a thousand rituals in our system of belief. Why has Christ not left us rituals? Why has he in fact fulfilled those good rituals of the Old Testament for us? So that we are not under the requirement of circumcision and dietary restrictions and sacrifices and priests 
He's fulfilled. Those were good, but he fulfilled them. Why? Through love, serve one another. Why do you have freedom? So that you can, through love, serve one another. That's what he's clarifying in this text. That's what you are going to do with yourself. So what does that mean? You see the person who's sitting to your right? You see a person sitting to your left? Somebody sitting in front of you? Somebody sitting behind you? In this room, I don't know, there's a couple hundred of us here. Let me tell you, there is no end of needs. There's no end of people in this room, maybe those sitting right by you, who are suffering. There's no end of people in this room who are struggling financially. There's no end of people in this room who have reached a spiritual plateau and are growing lukewarm. There's no end of people in this room who are young mothers who don't know what to do with their kids, how to discipline and raise them in the fear and instruction of the Lord. There's no end of older people who sit at home alone during the week, wishing for good fellowship. This is a room full of needs. Now, if you have a need, and it's a burning need, and you have the ability to meet that need, if you hurt your foot and it is bleeding, you need to bandage your foot, and you know what? You will. You will. You won't say, I don't have time to bandage my foot and bleed out and die. It simply won't happen. You will bandage that foot, won't you? Because you love yourself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. You will meet your needs if it's possible. Now, here's the summary of God's entire will for you. Circumcision? No. Dietary restrictions? No. Ritual prayers? No. Here's what God wants from you. Love the other people in this room as if they were you. This is from Leviticus 19.18 that he quotes here in this passage, verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is not an um, easy task, but I do want to point out that this is a very simple task compared to the rituals, even of the Old Testament, you know, reading Leviticus, you get confused. It's hard to keep the sacrifices straight. You think it's hard to read Leviticus once a year in your Bible reading plan? Imagine trying to live Leviticus out. You're free from all that. You don't even have to worry about that. What are you going to do with the big gap of space and time and energy that's been freed that used to be Leviticus? <laughs> You're going to meet the needs of the people around you. Through love, serve one another. And you're not going to do it in a distant way. You're over there. If it's easy, here's the money. All right, move along. No, that's not how you love yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's why you're free. You're freed up to love others. You may wonder why at Faith Bible Church, we're not strongly program-driven. Now, programs are great. I mean, we just had VBS. We have programs. We have structures in place, and we're always working on them and refining them. But we're not a program-driven church. This is why sometimes I'll be out in public, and another pastor or person will say, what's going on in your church these days? And mainly, I think, what they're thinking is, what programs are going on in your church? But the thing is, Programs are good, 
But the reason we don't emphasize and completely focus on programs is because we want to maintain for all of you the freedom that is yours in Christ to serve others. Now, there's a danger there. If we don't have programs on the calendar every month for all of you to be involved in, well, maybe you just won't serve others. But if you obey this text, you will. You are free through love to serve others. We don't want to busy you so much that when your next door neighbor needs your help with something, you say, I'm sorry, I got to go to church. I got all these things I'm involved in. I can't help you. <laughs> That's kind of against the whole point of what we're doing here. So we will have programs. We do have programs. We want to grow in our program. But even our programs are just so that we more effectively, through love, can serve one another. It's just so we can love other people the way we love ourselves. VBS was about loving other people the way we love ourselves. And I think that's what we did. Praise God. That's what it's about. That is, he says, the summary the whole law, you're not under the law, but even if you were, that whole thing, God's will for us, the whole thing is summarized in loving others the way we love ourselves. I hope you can see there is such a simplicity. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy to love others. If you're loving others, you know it's not easy. But there is a simplicity about the Christian life that we want to maintain insofar as is possible a tall order. Some of you like more the certainty that rules, external rules give you. You want to know, okay, I need to give to others to help meet their needs. How many dollars a month? <laughs> Sorry, it's not in the Bible. Okay, okay. I need to serve others for how many hours a quarter? I don't know. You don't know. You're not, told, you're not given that external regulation so you can just do it and check it off. No, no. It's through love. When you really love other people, there's no limit. You will meet their needs. You will do what is necessary to meet their needs. There is a simplicity about that. A summarizing of all the rest of your responsibilities in that singular focus. Love God and demonstrate that by meeting the needs of others. How many needs? I don't know. Just meet those needs. It's not about the number. It's not about how many needs you met. It's about the fact that you saw someone suffering, you loved them, and you strove to meet their needs insofar as you are able. Through love, serve one another. There's no red tape, no forms to fill out. You just meet needs that people have. You go searching out those needs and you meet them. God had promised through Jeremiah, even in the Old Covenant, when there were lots of regulations, He promised that there would be a new covenant, the one we live under. And He said, in that day, it's not going to be like today, because the Israelites broke all those rules anyways. It's not going to be like today. He said, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Love written on your heart. He says, well, I need the instructions for how to meet all these needs. And do you love that person? Then you will be driven to figure it out because you do that for yourself. Love them like yourself. Go figure that out. Help them through that. Do what you can. You say, well, I can't meet all the needs in the world. That's, nobody can. Nobody's asking you to do that. You just look around you 
and you find the needs and you serve others. You're older and you take that younger person under your wing and you serve them. Is it a sacrifice? Does it take time, which is already a precious commodity? Of course it does, but you love them. So through that love, serve them. It's a very simple, even if it's a very difficult calling. Brothers and sisters, this is why you're free. This is why you're free. Some of us are coming under another yoke where we busy ourselves with other things because we're free. We don't have all of these rituals. We don't have to be at mass every day. And so we pour ourselves into career or we pour ourselves into hobbies. And then it's like you're not free anymore. You say, I just don't have time to serve anybody. And you need to get out from under that stoicheia, those rituals that you've busied yourself with that are not loving others. You were set free for freedom. Do not submit to a yoke again. Whatever it's going to take in your life to be able to serve others, do that. If you love the young mothers at this church, get a hold of Kim Gilak and say, Kim, can I help watching children so that the young mothers can be here on a Sunday morning, have a very brief window of breathing space to hear God's word? Through love, serve the young mothers. Or you know what? Don't. You're free. Okay? Do you love, do you love your brothers and sisters sitting around you here? Then you go join a small group so that you can get to know them, their struggles, through their prayer requests and life on life. Get to know what their needs even are to meet them. Go do that. Through love, serve them like that. Or don't do that. Do you love people suffering in our body? Write them a letter. Shut-ins who can't be here this morning but wish they could, write them a letter. You love that person who just had surgery? Go mow their yard. Or, as happens all the time, make them a meal. You are all very good at that. You love that guy that you haven't got to know very much and he seems kind of on the outside of the church fellowship. You go text him, even if it's awkward, and you get a meeting with him during his lunch break at work and you encourage him. Or you just listen to how he's doing because maybe nobody else is doing that and just be there for him. Through love, serve him. Parents, through love, serve your children. Parenting gets complicated. You wonder, do I do sleep time like this? Do I do sleep time like that? Everybody's got ideas. Okay, learn the ideas. Look especially for older men and women to help you with that. But it all comes down to this in the end. Through love, serve your children. They're not there for you. You are there for them. Through love, serve your children. Children, through love, serve your parents. Singles, through love, because of the burning love that you have for others in the church, love them and serve them and serve their children. Through love, serve one another. And Jesus, of course, taught that neighbor is not to be confined simply to believers around you. That's where you start. Through love, serve your neighbors. Find out what they need. Meet their needs. Bake them a cake. Do anything. Do everything. Through love, serve others as if you were serving yourself. Your boss... Don't just be frustrated at your boss. Serve your boss. 
Your employees, don't just be frustrated at the employees. Serve the employees. Your coworkers, don't just grumble with them in the break room. Serve them. Share the gospel with them. Meet their needs. Help them. Talk with them. Learn from them. Listen to them. Your kids' classmates, parents, love those classmates' parents. You see Christ dying upon the cross. His hands and His feet are bound on the cross. He can't use them. He can't move. He did that so that your hands and feet won't be bound. You have a freedom to go out and give Christ the reward of His sufferings by, through love, serving others. May God grant us not to waste the immense freedoms that we have not only as a country, but that we have individually. May God grant that we not crumple them up and throw them in the trash of sin, but instead that we, through love, would serve one another.